Okay, so um, uh, as we jump into our uh, kind of big kid reflection time, uh, this is an opportunity for you to begin to chime in at home. And, and I'm going to give you some specific instructions for how to chime in. So, uh, so just kind of stay tuned uh, momentarily. Um, we're going to think about survival kits uh, in just a minute. Uh, survival kits for disaster. Um, for instance, if you go to the Red Cross website, they'll talk about weather-related disasters. Uh, weather-related disasters can happen at any time, they say, which is why it is important to be prepared ahead of time. Part of this preparedness includes having a preparedness kit. <laughs> I go preparedness kit because what that means is a survival kit, right? A survival kit to, pre uh, to, to survive, to make it through some kind of natural disaster, some kind of weather-related disaster. So here's the chance to chime in. What are some things that you would put in your disaster survival kit? So just write DK, semicolon, dot, 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 whatever you want to do, but, but indicate disaster kit, right, so that I know what you're uh, seeing. And I'll jump on later, and I'll let you know if the Red Cross says, yeah, that's what you should have. No cheating. Don't go to Red Cross first. Just chime in and say, hey, this is what I would put in my disaster kit. Um, uh, just think about this, right? The Red Cross lists off 15 different things that at minimum you should have in your weather-related disaster survival kit. Um, <clears throat> this is not exactly about thriving, mind you, right? This is not about being comfortable. This is just about surviving, uh, just about making it through until something gets better. 15 things at minimum <clears throat> that you should have in your survival kit. Um, survival, just so we're on the same page, it means to continue to live through adversity or hardship. That's a pretty low bar, don't you think? Right, to, to continue to live through adversity or hardship, uh, not thriving, not comfort, just, just, just making it, right? just barely making it. So, so just see this. If you look at the Red Cross website, there's seven recommendations uh, for things that you might want to include depending on your stage of life. Right? So 15 minimum things, and then they add in seven things that they recommend. For instance, like if you have a baby, you should probably put in some diapers into your survival kit, right? Things like that. And then they add another list, and they say, hey, here's 14 more things depending on where you live. So if you're in the Midwest, uh, they recommend uh, something to keep you warm, right? Because it gets quite chilly in the Midwest from time to time. And so, so just see this, right? 15 bare minimum things. That's not about comfort. It's just about survival. And then they add in some things that will add some more comfort uh, depending on your stage of life and depending on where you are. Uh, so uh, hopefully you're kind of wrapping that up. DK and then uh, fill in the gap of what you would put in your disaster survival kit. Uh, want to shift gears just slightly <clears throat> and think about a different kind of survival kit. This is a wilderness survival kit. <clears throat> there is a, there, there's a whole bunch of guys out there. There's like this website with four or five guys that consider themselves to be survival guides, uh, survival uh, uh, men, so to speak. And, and so, so this is kind of interesting. Um, uh, this is a different list, but here I want you to write WK semicolon or WK dot 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 and then fill in the gap for what you would put in your wilderness survival kit. It might be some of the same things. It might be something different. So you're thinking about, hey, I'm going on a multi-day hike. 
um, and, and you need to have a survival kit available, right? Because you never know on a multi-day hike, uh, backpacking trip, if you're gonna, you know, get an injury um, or if you're gonna get lost or what in the world is gonna happen. So you need a survival kit. Almost all survival experts, can you believe it? There's survival experts out there. Survival experts recommend assembling an emergency kit of equipment to stay with you at all times in the wilderness. Now, the question that always comes, apparently, to, I'm not one of them, but uh, apparently a question that always comes to survival experts is simply this, how much should I put in and how much should I leave out? It's a good question. The wilderness experts always say that it really depends on how, what, comfortable you want to be. Uh, if you aren't really worried about comfort and you're just interested in survival, well, then you don't need very much. You can have just a, a, a small pack that's very lightweight. If you want a little bit more comfort, then you make your pack a little bit bigger and a little bit heavier, right? So the more stuff that you carry around, the more comfortable you are likely to be. So again, uh, just fill in that gap, uh, WK Wilderness Survival Kit, and tell us what you would put in there. Uh, I'll jump on later today, and I don't know, I'll hand out gold stars or something for folks that got it right. Uh, or if you had a good suggestion, I'll put that in there as well. Um, uh, here's the point. Everybody's like, where is he going with this? Look at this. Psalm 23, verse 4. David is talking about the valley. He's not talking about a physical location. Uh, some valleys, uh, as I mentioned earlier, are very beautiful. You might think about Yosemite Valley. Uh, some valleys are very beautiful, but, but the valley in Psalm 23, verse 4, is not one of those valleys. Uh, this is an, an emotional place, a, a spiritual place, a, a mental space, and this is a dark valley, David says. Uh, he calls it the valley of the shadow of death. Uh, another way to maybe translate that is to say that it's a valley of the shadow of darkness. This isn't a valley that you want to be in. This is a valley um, that is not a positive place. Uh, this valley is likely an in-between place. Uh, remember, uh, it doesn't rain very much in the Middle East. And so as David is thinking about uh, the journey of sheep and shepherd, uh, he's likely thinking about, okay, we left this one green pasture and we sort of hope that another green pasture will come. <laughs> and in the space in between, it's really wilderness, desert kind of area. And you hope beyond hope that that wilderness desert area will end and you'll land at another green pasture. So, so the wilderness, the valley here is, is likely an in-between kind of time in life. It's likely a, a time of, of kind of uh, maybe a darker mental, emotional space than really makes us comfortable. And we've just got to see what David packs with him. Uh, we could say that David in the valley has got a, a bare minimum, but that somehow or another, that minimum doesn't lead to discomfort. It's pretty interesting, right? Uh, Red Cross, uh, the survival expert guides, they all say the more you add in, right, then the more comfortable you're, you'll be. But David really just has one thing. He's got the minimum that somehow gives him the maximum amount of comfort and peace. Just listen to it here. Psalm 23, verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they, what? Comfort me. 
Uh, this does not sound like a man that is merely trying to survive. It doesn't sound like a man that's merely trying to, to get by, uh, that, that's, that's hoping beyond hope that things get better. This sounds like a man who's kind of okay, uh, a man who's kind of comfortable. And so it's fascinating to me that David doesn't have a list of 40 things. He doesn't have a list of 10 things. He's just got one thing in the valley. He's got a shepherd. And that shepherd is with him. It's beautiful language. Uh, I'll fear no evil because you are with me. Uh, just last month, right, we were celebrating Emmanuel. Uh, we spent uh, November and December really celebrating Emmanuel, that, that we have a God who consistently wants to be near his people. <clears throat> Emmanuel is the very heartbeat of God. We, we talked about that on Christmas Eve, uh, that, that God was with Hagar. He was with Sarah. He was with Jacob. Uh, he was with the three guys in the fiery furnace. He was with the people in the wilderness. He was born and laid in a manger, and, and he promised to be with us always. David's shepherd is Emmanuel, and Emmanuel is the very heartbeat of God. David's shepherd is with him. He's not far off. He's not uninvolved. He's not disengaged. He's with David, right where he is. And that shepherd is both glorious and great. Um, that's not language that David uses here in Psalm 23, verse 4, or in Psalm 23. But, but in other Psalms, we know that David talks about God as being glorious and great. Uh, David's shepherd, our shepherd in the valley, is great. Uh, that means that he is considerably above the normal extent, the normal amount, or the normal intensity. <laughs> God is great, so David doesn't have to worry or be in control in the valley. The shepherd is great. The shepherd's also glorious. Um, th there's no one and nothing, in other words, bigger than David's shepherd. And so David doesn't have to be afraid. In other words, as David is walking through this, this dark valley with shadows in it, uh, he's saying, hey, um, there is nothing in this valley that could possibly overcome my shepherd. And so I'm okay. I don't have anything to fear, and I am comfortable. David has the bare minimum, just one shepherd, but that shepherd gives the maximum comfort and peace that you need as you, as you travel in the dark valley? Um, the, the shepherd has a rod and a staff. <clears throat> uh, this was kind of interesting as I looked into it. Um, the, the rod is basically a, a, maybe a two-foot club, uh, probably made of some kind of strong wood. Uh, most of the time, uh, that rod is in his belt, just kind of like a Jedi would keep the, uh, the lightsaber in his belt. Um, the, the club stays there until some kind of danger approaches. Um, in the valley, a dark valley with shadows, uh, there's likely to be two kinds of dangers. Uh, maybe a beast that wants to come and eat one of the sheep, and maybe a thief that wants to come and steal one of the sheep, and then, uh, of course, try to sell it off for money. Um, that, that club stays in the belt until a danger approaches. And then, of course, the shepherd springs into action and he wields that club to defend his sheep. Beasts and thieves will not be able to harm the sheep. 
the staff that David refers to is, of course, the uh, kind of typical shepherd's staff that's got the, you know, the the hook on the end. I don't know what else to call it, the hook. Uh, and, and, uh, and, and what it's used for is to sort of gently nudge the sheep forward. Uh, gently nudge them onto the right path. This is not an image of a shepherd that's going, hey, you get back there, you sheep. Right? This is a, a, an image of, of a shepherd who's kind of gently nudging uh, the sheep forward, onward, or back onto the right path. It's fascinating to me that David doesn't have a list of 40 things, doesn't have a list of 10 things. He's really just got one thing in the valley. He's got the minimum in the valley, but that minimum doesn't lead to discomfort. This is not a picture of a man that is barely trying to survive. It leads to max comfort and max peace in the dark valley of shadows. Okay, so here's the question. How do you do in the valley? Is your experience the same experience as David's? I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but as I looked at this verse and I wrestled with it more and more over the last couple of days, <laughs> I just reached a place where, to be honest, I, I have a hard time relating to David's experience of the valley. Um, I struggle in the valley. Uh, my experience in the valley is much different than David's, and I think that that reveals uh, some areas of sin in my life some areas of unbelief in my heart that I need to deal with. So let me give you a couple of examples. Um, and this is a little bit half confession. Uh, uh, so I'm just being transparent about my own struggles when I'm in the valley. And then after that, I hope to offer just a couple of tips that might make your experience more like David's experience in Psalm 23 verse 4. Um, one way that I struggle in the valley is that when I'm in the valley, I am afraid. I, I have fear in my heart. Um, lately in the valley, my fear has been that I just won't make it, that I won't survive. And, and as I really sit on that and, and I sit with, with how I feel in the valley and my fear that I'm not going to make it, that I'm not going to survive, I think what that reveals to me is that I'm not trusting fully in the, in, the, in the greatness and the glory of God. I believe that God is with me. I do. <laughs> but I'm not fully trusting in his greatness and glory. And so I am, I am filled with worry and I'm filled with fear. Um, another example is uh, sometimes I tend to pursue other forms of comfort in the valley. Um, I typically turn to scripture, I do, which by the way, I, I'm kind of uh, relating the rod and staff to scripture. Uh, think about that, right? The rod uh, beats off the enemy and the, the best weapon that we have against Satan and his workers is scripture. Um, the, the staff gently leads the sheep back onto the right path and, and, and really our best guide to walk through life is scripture. And so I'm looking at the rod and staff as scripture and I typically turn to scripture for comfort, but I also turn to other things. Uh, when I get into the valley, I tend to, you know, uh, pretend or act like or, or want to be an expert survival guide. I want to be like one of those guys that has that list of, hey, here's what you need to survive in the wilderness. And I want to pretend that I can make it through on my own. 
Uh, sometimes I'll turn to worldly pleasures uh, to sort of make myself comfortable. And the reality is that then I'm not trusting in Scripture to be enough. I'm not, I'm not trusting Scripture to, to be my sole source of comfort. I'm not keeping my eyes on the shepherd only to be my comfort. So the question is, how do you do in the valley? Is your experience in the valley the same as David's experience? Um, I'm guessing I'm not the only one who has a hard time relating to that verse <laughs> and struggles to live in the valley as David lives in the valley. So, so I want to offer just, just two tips to help make your valley experience a bit more like David's valley experience. Um, the first one is, uh, is uncomfortable, and, uh, and, and we haven't done it very much as a congregation since COVID started. But the first tip I would suggest to you is to simply admit your sin. Uh, to take some honest time in, in reflection and say, man, am I doubting God's presence? Am I, am I doubting his greatness and glory? Am I, am I turning to scripture? Am I, am I letting scripture be enough? Uh, to take some honest time and say, man, am I afraid in the valley? And if so, then, then what, what's my area of unbelief? I, I've been uh, transparent and told you some of the areas that I'm wrestling. Uh, your areas might be the same. They might be different. Uh, it, it's massively important that we just take some time to slow ourselves down and be honest about how we're doing in the valley <laughs> so that we can, we, we can admit our sin in the valley and just that simple process begins to move our hearts back into a right relationship with the shepherd. And just that process of saying, man, I'm afraid. And, and that means that there's something going on in my heart that's not fully trusting God. Um, I, I'm, I'm finding comfort, but that comfort seems to be fleeting and doesn't last very long. That means that I'm not turning to the right comfort. And so the first tip is not a comfortable one, but, but, but it's taking some quiet space to, to admit your sin, to reflect on your heart, on your life, on your actions, and to own the areas of unbelief. And then the, the second tip, and, and boy, I, I had originally four things uh, to offer you today, and, and I just kept coming back to this second one. So, so this, is the, this is really the last one. Um, the, the second tip that I would suggest is to simply celebrate eternal truths about the shepherd. Look, there are going to be days in your life where, um, where, where some of these eternal truths don't seem to fit. They don't seem to make sense. Uh, a friend of mine uh, once said, you know, sometimes uh, I, I, have to, I have to just sing my way back into a faith relationship with God. He loved to play guitar. He loved to, uh, to, to worship Jesus. But, but he also admitted sometimes the words that I sing aren't really the words of my own heart. And he said that this amazing thing happens, that, that when he uh, sings, it, it pushes his heart back into right relationship with God, uh, even though maybe just moments before he was struggling to hold on to those truths. And so the second tip that I would say is, is to just celebrate the eternal truths about our shepherd even if you're struggling to really hold on to them. Celebrate the eternal truth that he is with you, that he is a God who longs to be and is Emmanuel, 
He's right by your side. Celebrate the eternal truth that he is great. Uh, that, that, that he is as, uh, of an extent that is more than anything else. Celebrate the eternal truth that he is good, that there's nothing more satisfying than him. Not, not getting through the valley, not, not being okay in the valley, just, just him. There's, there's nothing more satisfying than your shepherd. Celebrate the eternal truth that he is gracious <laughs> and that, that he's always going to be there uh, even in, after your doubt, even in your doubt. He's going to be there and he's, and, and he's a, a, a dad who loves you. And celebrate the eternal truth that he is glorious, um, that there is nothing and no one bigger than him. Celebrate the eternal truth that, that he is the God of the hills and the God of the valleys. It's a truth uh, that's revealed in 1 Kings chapter 20. You should go and read it. It's an interesting little story. Uh, but this thing happens and all of a sudden God says, look, I am the God of the hills and the God of the valleys. It's an eternal truth about our shepherd that, that he's God on the chairs and under the table and lying down and standing up. He's the God of the hills and the valleys and the eternal truth, celebrate the eternal truth that, that, that sometimes he leads you through the valleys, like Psalm 23, right? He leads you through the valleys and celebrate the eternal truth that sometimes he transforms those valleys. Isaiah chapter 40, Hosea chapter two, and I would say Easter morning, we've got a God who transforms valleys who doesn't leave those valleys, who doesn't let valleys, dark, deep valleys be the end story. He transforms them. Admitting our sin can begin to move us back into right relationship with the shepherd. Celebrating eternal truths about our shepherd, even when we've had a hard time believing and trusting in them, celebrating those eternal truths about our shepherd brings us back into a right relationship with him so that we can say the same thing that David says in Psalm 23, verse four, so, so that his experience becomes our experience. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you, my shepherd, are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Amen. Let's, uh, let's pray. Uh, Jesus, we, uh, we thank you for truly being with us always. Uh, sometimes we're, we're in these kind of darker places. Uh, sometimes we're stuck in those in-between moments of life. Uh, sometimes our, our valleys are just dips in the road. <laughs> um, sometimes they're, uh, they, they feel deeper and, and wider than the, than the Grand Canyon. And so today we, we just kind of come back to, to the truth of who you are, uh, the eternal truths about who you are. Uh, we celebrate that you are always God, that you always love us, um, no matter the stage of life, the place we're in, or the things going on around us. And we just proclaim that. And we come back to and we celebrate that truth. 
that you are our great shepherd, that you are with us, and that you desire to, to transform and lead us through those valleys. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We want to state our faith uh, in this shepherd using the words of the Apostles' Creed. If they are your words of faith, uh, go ahead and say them. <clears throat> if you just want to take time to kind of consider them and, and think through them on your own, uh, then just take that time as you need. <clears throat> I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And what is a disciple? Someone who is following Jesus, is being changed by Jesus, and is on mission with Jesus. <clears throat> um, the next slide there uh, is a, a slide that just kind of encourages you to be part of our ongoing mission of connecting people to Christ like they've never been connected before. Uh, maybe take a quick snapshot of that, but, but we want to move forward uh, kind of quickly. And, uh, and Noah, would you put up that next slide? Uh, here's some lovely, beautiful people that really uh, half of them didn't want to send me their, their selfies, but I made them do it. Uh, almost always... Um, around this time of year, we would be bringing up our board of directors, we'd be bringing up our PAC, we'd even be bringing up our staff, and we would just ask God to sort of uh, bless them and anoint their work among us. Uh, our board of directors, uh, as we uh, kind of talk about it here at Resurrection, uh, they typically kind of handle the, the, the kind of business administration side of our church, um, which uh, really has been a significant amount of work. Uh, these guys have just faced uh, so many difficult decisions, uh, both past board and, and this new board already uh, facing difficult decisions almost every time they meet. Um, so, so on the one hand, I want you to just, uh, where you are, just kind of, uh, you know, uh, give them a, a round of applause, thank them for their work. <coughs> Uh, and, and just real quickly, uh, you see the names there. Uh, Justin Miller is uh, continuing on as our chair. Uh, Lori Schroer is our secretary. Uh, Sarah is our uh, vice chair. And Tim is our uh, treasurer. And, uh, and then uh, Nick and Patty uh, kind of fill in the gaps and step into different places at different times. Um, just so thankful for this group of folks that has uh, answered the call and said, yes, uh, I desire to help and, and make sure that Resurrection continues its mission, uh, its vision of connecting people to Christ. So um, if you'll allow me, I'm just going to kind of say a little extra prayer here over these folks, uh, thanking God for them and at the same time asking for God's uh, help of them. Let's pray. Uh, Jesus, you are the, the great good shepherd. Um, you, you, you do that shepherding work through other people. Uh, sometimes you get involved and you do it yourself. Very often you uh, uh, empower other people to do that shepherding work. Uh, you invite others to lead. You invite others to take care of the world around them. 
You invite others to help. You invite others to represent you to the world. Uh, that's a big task. And it's, uh, it's one that we don't take lightly. Um, and it's one that uh, none of us do perfectly. And so we want to thank you uh, for this group. I want to thank you for, uh, for, for Tim and for Sarah, for Nick, for Patty, for Justin, and for Lori. And we're so thankful for them and uh, their willingness to be your hands and feet. Uh, thank you that they have accepted the responsibility. Uh, thank you for, uh, for, for their heart, uh, for your mission. Uh, Jesus, we know that they won't do their work perfectly. Uh, they know uh, that they won't do their work perfectly. And so I ask that you would show forgiveness, that you would show mercy. And, uh, and I also ask that you would uh, help them, uh, that you would <clears throat> give them your power, uh, that you would keep giving them your time and your grace and your vision so that each um, a relationship they have, each uh, decision they make, uh, each comment uh, um, connection that they make is simply a, a representation of you and your love uh, for them and for the world. God, move mightily in them and move through them uh, so that your work is not hindered in this place and in this world. In the name of Jesus, all God's people said, amen.